everybody's back. We have them on? Okay, I'd like to introduce our speaker for today, for this afternoon, uh, Brad Shapizi. He serves as director of Seek, Knock, Ask Outreach Ministries, which develops ministries and programs focused on evangelizing non-Catholics, as well as the unchurched and fallen away Catholics. He has organized many retreats and conferences. He teaches seminars on prayer, courses on apologetic strategies, religious and spiritual formation for adults. He is the founder and the director of the Bosco House, a charity which serves fatherless teens. He is the third order lay Dominican of the St. Cecilia chapter. He is also an elementary school teacher he and his wife, Rebecca, have three beautiful children. It's now my pleasure to introduce Brad and have him speak to us. We woke up from the coma of American consumerism to find the world on fire. The flames of evil have rapidly engulfed our culture. The sexual revolution has all but completely taken over our society, redefining good as evil and evil as good. Where once pornography was discreetly hidden in the shadows, it now proudly parades down the main street of our culture. Abortion has wiped out as much as 20% of the last two generations. Terrorists are conquering entire regions martyring our brothers and sisters along the way. And our old Cold War nemesis is peeking over the horizon of history, taunting us for a rematch. This civilization built by the labors of our church and by the blood of our saints is crumbling right before our eyes. So now, what does the world need? We've spent the last 25 years entertaining endless debates over which politician could save us each of them promising social reforms that would build a utopia. But the visions of the perfect society never materialized. Instead, we found that all we have been succeeded in building is a culture bankrupt in morality. In truth, we entertained the wrong discussions. Even if those politicians were as honorable as we so naively imagined they were, Christ never told us to construct a great society. Salvation was never about utopia. Christ was never interested in our silly little social reforms, our modern American Tower of Babel. What Christ instructed us to do was to transform our hearts, to grow in holiness. Perhaps today we do not even know what that word means anymore. What Christ instructed us to do was to overcome temptation, to conquer ourselves. We, by nature, by our weak human inclinations, tend to follow the model of our mother Eve. When faced with temptation, we rarely reject it outright. Like our mother Eve, we negotiate with the tempter. We examine the fruit. We see its goodness. We delight in its possibilities. We cultivate an impure desire. We dance with temptation, and then we fall. 
The fall that began with our first parents has become a cycle for the entire human race, a cycle of sin in which we yield to temptation, we fall, and we become trapped in our disordered hungers. We see the fruits of Eve in our world today through violence, immorality, and a culture of death. In our time, we are witnessing before our very eyes the redefinition of all of our social norms. Like Cain, Ham, and Nimrod of the Old Testament, we are witnessing a total revolution of God's holy covenant. And it all began in the garden with our mother Eve. So what does the world need? What our blessed mother Mary demonstrates time and again throughout the scriptures is that what God originally had planned for Eve was so much greater. And that what he has planned for us and for our lives today is also so much greater. What he has planned for us is a life of grace, a life filled with the Holy Spirit, a life not which seeks to be sustained by the fruit of gratification, but a life of purity, which instead bears fruits of the Holy Spirit. Like the life of our Blessed Mother, who bore fruit so profoundly, it was indeed the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. The world is filled with people who are going about their own lives, marrying and being given in marriage. They're consumed with all sorts of business. For them, the idea of purity is an impossibility. Holiness is something they cannot understand. It is something they've given up on. Our call, our mission, is to interrupt their reality, to reintroduce the world to purity. After all, who better than us Christians to do so? For we've learned this lesson already. We were all going about our own lives. We were all marrying. We were being given in marriage. We were consumed with all sorts of business, everything but the business of our redemption. But all at once, in the fullness of time, God interrupted our reality. He interrupted us with the miracle of the Incarnation. This moment was perhaps the greatest moment in human history. The greatest messenger of heaven came to the humblest, the meekest peasant girl. As heaven and earth united here for the first time since the Garden of Eden, with the angels greeting, Hail Mary, she was God's choice to represent all of us. Of all of the chosen people, she was chosen above all. With her response, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word, she accepted what Eve once rejected and reunited God to mankind, so that today we use, sometime without the slightest regard, the name Emmanuel, God is with us, as if there was something normal about that very idea. But it was not normal at all. In fact, it is a miracle greater than creation itself. Today, we all go about our lives, marrying and given in marriage, consumed with all sorts of business, unaware of God's grace or the miracle that he is with us. But because of her, yes, today we are able to participate sacramentally in this incarnation, which joins heaven and earth. Approaching the altar, we are, we are invited to enter mystically into that one special moment of the Annunciation, as our own guardian angel comes to us with an invitation to bear the reality of Christ within our souls. An invitation to become, through the sacrament, very temples of God's presence, in order that he may fulfill the be that beautiful prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 36, in which he promises to put his spirit within us, that we may live by his statutes 
and follow his decrees. This is our invitation to purity. The mystery of the Annunciation is beyond human words. But the beauty of this moment has not been lost on the church as she has meditated upon this profound reality for, for two millennia. Throughout the ages, the church's love is evident through her art depicting this mystery. Today, I would like to focus on one singular element of that art and the lesson that it demonstrates for us. Because beginning very early in the, Rena in the Renaissance, we see a very interesting symbol begin to show up in artwork depicting the Annunciation, that of a lily. Of course, each of us is familiar with the greeting of the angel, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And of these words, we spend much time meditating. Surely they should never be far from our lips. But as it turns out, with the birth of the Renaissance, the angel Gabriel is depicted as he speaks these words, presenting the Blessed Mother with a lily. This symbol shows up early in the 14th century and never quite disappears from Christian art. So, the question... What is the symbol of the lily all about? Why does the angel present these flowers to Mary? In reality, no matter how much we like the image of the lily, the angel Gabriel probably did not truly present them to Mary. He had something much more amazing for her than simple flowers. But these Renaissance artists included the symbol not for her, but for us. This symbol demonstrates to us Mary's purity. This purity is why it was that she was chosen. This purity is the reason why, when heaven came calling upon earth, it was Mary alone who had the courage to answer. Today, the Immaculate Conception of our Mother is often challenged by so many in the world. They say that it is impossible for God to perform a singular act of grace, to create a truly pure human. But there is nothing new about this accusation. For poor St. Joseph himself was tempted to these same thoughts. He must have been brokenhearted and filled with conflict when his betrothed was found to be with child. Surely what he understood about reality and about human nature did not seem to cohere with this beautiful person he knew in Mary. So he decided to divorce her quietly. Now this woman, the model of human purity, the Immaculate Conception, faced this terrible injustice as she is accused to be guilty. Today, we grow accustomed to these very same accusations which consistently come against the purity of our dear mother. But in Mary's day, God came to her defense. He stood up for her innocence, telling St. Joseph, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In this moment, God himself protects Our Lady's purity. Two millennia later, her detractors continue in their accusations, even though dear St. Joseph conceded. But they can take their complaint to him. This lily, which is presented by the angel Gabriel, is an invitation of purity to each and every one of us. Though not immaculately conceived, we have the opportunity, through the Christian struggle, to work out with fear and trembling our own salvation. Through the practice of Christian virtue, spiritual formation through prayer, and the gift of grace through the sacraments, we ourselves can, like Mary, become an open heart ready to give our own fiat at once when the Holy Spirit should come upon each of us. That is the very purpose of the Christian religion, to become temples fitting for the Holy Spirit. And in this, our Blessed Mother Mary at the Annunciation is the perfect model, and her purity is the benchmark. So what does the world need? 
It needs Christians devoted to purity, modeling purity, following Mary in purity. Christians transformed into images of Christ, just like those saints that went before us. Mary's holiness, her purity, is the seed which bore the fruit of service, evangelization, and intercession. And that is what Christ called us to be to the world. Not political revolutionaries, but to be servants, to be evangelists, to be intercessors. This is how St. Luke introduces Mary to us, as a model servant, a model evangelist, and a model intercessor. When St. Gabriel first comes to her, she is presented as one who has been faithful to the law of Moses for her entire life. She demonstrated that she was willing to be the perfect servant to God in the Old Covenant. Therefore, he entrusted to her the entirety of the New Covenant. As a faithful Hebrew, surely Mary was familiar with the stories of Abraham. Certainly she knew of the struggles which he had as he wrestled with God's promise that he would have a child in his old age. She saw how eventually his great faithfulness was rewarded and the promise of God was fulfilled with the birth of Isaac. Perhaps it was this story that was on Mary's heart when the angel came to her and promised her a child in her youth. Perhaps this is the very reason why there was no hesitation in her. She was ready to be God's servant. She was ready to speak the words, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to thy word. Are we ready to be servants to the Lord? Or do we hesitate? Now what was it that Mary did when she spoke these words? I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to thy words. These words are not to be taken lightly. Being found with child prior to her marriage to St. Joseph was a death sentence to her, and she understood that. Now in the greatest irony in Scripture, not once in all of salvation history was anyone capable of perfect fidelity to the Old Covenant until our Blessed Mother. But just as she was faithful to the Old Law, she was also perfectly faithful to the New Covenant, answering the angel, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to thy words. This faithfulness would bring to her the threat of death by stoning through the old law. But just like her holy son a generation later, there was no hesitation in her. The unity between her fiat, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me according to thy words, and his, not my will but, but yours be done, should never be lost upon us faithful followers. Those statements together mark her as the new Eve and him as the new Adam, and together they untie the knot that our first parents tied around all of humanity. This is what it means to be a servant. This is the call of Christianity. This is the cross that we are charged with taking up. How do we respond when we are faced with the temptations of this world? Do we entertain them as our mother Eve did? Or are we faithful servants to God as our blessed mother was? St. Luke also presents Our Lady as the first evangelist. And in her, we have the perfect model of evangelization. It was immediately following the visit of the angel in which Luke states that our Blessed Mother arose and went with haste. Having just heard from the angel that her cousin Elizabeth was also a child, she left immediately. Why did she go? As we read the Gospel account, it certainly seems as though she had every intention of attending to Elizabeth's physical needs, what we might call today the corporal works of mercy. But upon arriving to Elizabeth, what Mary 
intended as simply as corporal works of mercy, suddenly became a rather intense spiritual work of mercy. Because before she even arrived, Elizabeth and the baby within her womb were able to discern the presence of God drawing closer to her. The simple sound of our Blessed Mother's voice was the means by which Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how hungry they were for the Holy Spirit? At just the sound of her voice, the baby leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Are we hungry for the Holy Spirit? Will anything leap within us at the sound of our mother's voice? Elizabeth greets Mary with the words that have ringed down through the ages. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Mary's response is this magnificent first proclamation of the gospel. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The first announcement of the gospel. Fulfilling the promise made in the garden so long ago. And it was spoken by our Blessed Mother, the first evangelist. Now notice the sequence of events. The Holy Spirit came upon her, and she arose and went with haste. When she arrived, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us most profoundly in the sacraments, do we quickly arise and go in haste? Does the filling of the Holy Spirit bring within us the desire to engage in spiritual and corporal works of mercy? Does the filling of the Holy Spirit embolden us to declare firmly and boldly the magnificent glory of God, such as Mary's, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord? Does our simple presence among others stir within them a profound passion for God? St. Luke also presents Our Lady as the model of intercession. Intercession, the greatest call of Christianity, the very mission of Christ. It is the purity of Mary which equips her to be our intercessor to Christ. Where does this intercession start? It starts in Nazareth. For some 30 years she had Jesus entirely to herself. The joy she must have felt when Joseph and Jesus sat with her to eat dinner each evening. What part of heaven did Mary not possess in that home in Nazareth? He was there. We toil our entire lives in hope that we will at last come to the kingdom of heaven, that we might come to the same joy, this joy of Nazareth and Mary's little home. Perhaps Mary lived our experience in reverse. While we toil waiting in hope, she had that entire joy of heaven in her home. But instead, she spent her days in anticipation of Calvary. For for Mary, when did that toil of Calvary begin? began in Cana, at the wedding in Cana, with the simple act of intercession. We must consider, as Mary followed her holy son up the hill of Calvary, did she think back to that wedding in Cana? If it had been you or I, we would have hesitated, but not our Blessed Mother. She knew full well when those wine jars went empty that the choice she made here would lead to the fulfillment of Simeon's prophecy that a sword would pierce her soul. But with her words, they have no wine. Mary gave her Holy Son away to the world. And from that moment, his journey up that hill began. And for her, the joy of Nazareth gave way to the sorrow of the cross. This is intercession. 
This is what intercession is all about. Coming to the Lord on behalf of another and offering our very own heart and soul for love of another. This is the goal of Christianity, the complete emptying of ourselves for the salvation of the world, the complete antithesis of what the world teaches. Outside, those in the world are struggling to gratify themselves with every possible pleasure. The world insists that this life of purity, this life of grace is impossible. It is a dream, a fantasy, a Christian myth. The idea of a life filled with the Holy Spirit is foreign to them. A life which bears fruits of the Holy Spirit is something they do not understand. This is because, by our human nature, we tend towards the model of our mother Eve. We yield to temptation, we fall, we become trapped by our disordered hungers. But it is not the model of our mother Eve which we should be following, but instead the purity of our blessed mother Mary. She demonstrates that, is, that this life filled with the Holy Spirit is certainly possible. For 2,000 years, the Church has pointed to the example of her purity as countless holy men and women exemplified her life of virtue. The witness of these saints testified, perhaps more powerfully than anything else, the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Christian faith. The purity of the saints fulfills all those struggles of our Old Testament brethren like Abraham, Moses, and David who struggled to overcome their wills in the absence of the grace which was necessary to do so. The saints in the age of the church are precisely what we would expect to see if all of Christ's promises concerning the Holy Spirit were actually fulfilled. Their lives demonstrate the truth of his words. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. For us Dominicans, there is perhaps no greater example of purity among the saints than our own St. Thomas, whose own devotion to chastity has grown into the powerful Dominican apostolate of the Angelic Warfare Confraternity. So I'll, I will ask you once again, what is it that the world needs? The same thing that the world needed 2,000 years ago a Savior, Jesus Christ. How is it that his salvation is manifested in the world today? The same way he was manifested 2,000 years ago, through Mary's purity. What does the world need from Christians today? The same thing the world needed from the first Christian 2,000 years ago, purity. It is only in purity that we Christians, like Mary, can fulfill Christ's call to be servants, evangelists, intercessors. In an age when it seems as though everyone has embraced corruption, sin, and revolution, what is God calling us to? Purity. Today, let our lives be as the image of a lily presented to the world in desperate need of purity. Let us pray. You have a prayer in your, in your brochure. Chosen Lily of Innocence, pure St. Thomas, who kept chaste the robe of baptism and became an angel in the flesh after being girded by two angels, I implore you to commend me to Jesus, the spotless Lamb, and to Mary, the Queen of Virgins, gentle protector of my purity, Ask then that I who wear the holy sign of your victory over the flesh may also share your purity 
and after imitating you on earth, may at last come to be crowned with you among the angels. Amen. Dear Jesus, I know that every perfect gift, and especially that of chastity, depends on the power of your providence. Without you, a mere creature can do nothing. Therefore, I beg you to defend by your grace the chastity and purity of my body and soul. And if I've ever sensed or imagined anything that could stain my chastity and purity, blot it out, Supreme Lord of my powers, that I may advance with a pure heart in your love and service, offering myself on the most pure altar of your divinity all the days of my life. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you.